Oh, yeah, we're back at it again, baby. Take those final sips of espresso because we are on the air over here. NFL Draft Bible Radio, I'm glad you tuned in. We've got a jam-packed show for you. I don't even know where we begin with the NFL free agent frenzy. I don't even know where you want to go. But we're going to break it all down for you, the comings, the goings, the impact and analysis, the cause and effect that it has on the NFL draft, the NFL free agent frenzy. Turn the page. The NFL calendar year has begun. Of course, the Cowboys had a cool rendering of what the NFL draft is going to look like there, April 26th through 28th. Destination Dallas, of course, will be on location, bringing you behind-the-scenes exclusive interviews. But for the first time ever in the history of the NFL draft, it will be held inside a stadium. It's pretty cool to see the uh, renderings of what it's actually going to be like. I think almost 300,000 people applied for tickets. Uh, NFL is doling out 60,000. So it's going to be a jam packed house. I guess the NFL is taking the other 40,000 tickets, but uh, it's going to be a sold out stadium at the NFL draft. So that's going to be interesting, but before we get there, we've got to break down each position. This week, we're going to bring to you the tight ends and offensive line, uh, positional preview. We might go a little bit longer. There's so much to get covered because then, you know, we'll be unveiling our big board on the NFL Draft Bible. And if you've been paying attention, logging in, uh, we've been kind of posting you each and every day, new scouting reports, new player rankings, uh Pro Day updates on location. I mean, can't stop, won't stop. It's truly not even the motto, just the lifestyle. It's what we do here at the NFLDraftBible.com since 2002. With that being said, let's welcome in our director of college football scouting. He is Joe Everett. Of course, you can follow him on Twitter, at Joe W. Everett. What's going on there, Joe, in Indianapolis? Getting ready for this draft, man. Uh, uh, breaking down one of the better uh, positions, I think, of this year's class. Love this tight end group. Uh, interior offensive line's good. And then this free agent frenzy, man. I'm just, that two more deals today, McCarran, uh, Bills. I mean, I'm just trying to keep up. <laughs> yeah, and I thought I left the window open. It was just the draft 42 days away. That means Justin Gamble is on the horn with us, never leaving a stone unturned, that's Joe, but not always dropping a hammer on him over at the Twitter. That's Gam Scout. He is Justin. He joins us right now. What's going on in Colorado out there, Justin? It's nice out here, man. We got no snow. I mean, it, I looked at the weather. It's supposed to be nothing but 50s for the next, like, 10 days. So I've been up since 4. I went and played hockey, got the coffee out, got the TV on, trying to keep up with the free agency right now, man. It is insane. Yeah, meanwhile, we've got three feet of snow here in Jersey, but, hey, it doesn't stop us from breaking it all down. And, uh, you know, since we brought up, you know, both of you guys brought up the free agency, I guess that's the hot topic, and it's a draft radio show. But, heck, I listen to some of these other draft podcasts, and they barely even talk football, never mind draft. So we're going to get it in here on the free agency side of things. And, you know, first off, the – the quarterback chain reaction and, you know, Denver realizing they weren't going to get Kirk Cousins, sealing up their guy with Case Keenum, and then, you know, obviously Cousins to the Vikings and the Dominoes. Then fell Joe, like you mentioned, A.J. McCarron to the Bills, Teddy Bridgewater to the Jets along with Josh McCown 
best quarterback free agent signing as you saw it, Joe? It has to be Cousins, right? I mean, Vikes are all in. Cousins now is a rich man. Minnesota, I don't know if they're the Super Bowl favorite, but that combo, uh, those two receivers, Thielen, Diggs, and then the guy that barely even played last year, who we talked about plenty leading up into the season, Dalvin Cook. I mean, that could be their most, arguably, their most explosive uh, dynamic player on offense. Now you add a veteran to that. I, I think that just, um, like I said, that shows just Minnesota is so all in right now. This is going to be the best uh, version of themselves. I mean, they basically got the apple of the whole uh, uh, league's eye in this uh, free agency. So I, I think it has to be them, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you know, obviously the window is there, and we'll see how you know, this contract impacts the free agency. A lot of guys uh, coming up on free agency on the defensive side of the ball there in Minnesota, Justin. So we'll see how the long-term effects impact this team, but obviously a play away from the Super Bowl, And, you know, again, some other guys too, Justin, I mean, Sam Bradford, (laughs) this guy has made more money doing that. I mean, $20 million over to the Arizona Cardinals. He's going to play two games. Uh, get injured and, you know, just really pull the wool over somebody else's eyes again. Of course, Tyrod Taylor, I think, was happening when we were on the air last week to the Browns. But a lot of moving parts outside of Cousins. Justin, any of these quarterback free agent signings make sense to you? Um, I think some of them – to maybe not even the starters, though. I look at the Kaiser one to Green Bay. Um, <clears throat> I like that. I mean, to have such a, a talented guy behind Rodgers, God forbid he gets injured. Or, I mean, you know, they could even develop this guy the way that New England, you know, possibly did something like Garoppolo. And next thing you know, they get a second or third round pick for Kaiser, and Kaiser moves on to another team to start. Or if he fills in for A-Rod in two or three years. But, you know, I think Rodgers has more time than that. But, um I think the one that I look at that I liked a lot, and he's not going to start either, is Chase Daniel to the Bears. If Trubisky, you know, like I said, God forbid, goes down, gets hurt, I think Chase Daniel gives you a lot of the same skill set as Trubisky, maybe not to the same level, but if for any reason he is not able to start, Daniel's a smart quarterback, he's mobile, he's got a decent arm, and with the weapons they're putting over there in Chicago, I think – they're doing it right, and I think they're building a team that can win some games, even if their starter does go down for any reason. So, I mean, I think no one's really talked about that signing, but I looked at it like, wow, that's that's a smart move to get your backup and your starter with similar skill sets, similar styles, guys that can do a lot of the same things. That's um, that's a good move. And show him some respect when you see him in the streets. I mean, Chase Daniel calling somebody out on Twitter yesterday like, yo, there's no S in my name. Get it right. Get it right. <laughs> Gotta got love that, baby. Hey, how about the Bears signing Allen Robinson? You talk about the weapons there and uh, a lot of comings and goings. You know, the Giants lost out on Norvell to the Jaguars and, and Tommy Coughlin down there, um, but they were able to land Nate Solder. So the Giants getting their left tackle. Um you know, a lot of guys still, you know, getting released in the mi- meantime, like Ndamukong Su, uh, Jordy Nelson is released. He hits the open market. Um, 
what signing here, Joe, to you, best value, biggest impact, or, you know, maybe a, a, a hit and a miss? What do you got for us? Anybody on the on the flip side that you were just kind of scratching your head like, wow, that's just stupid money? Well, I think you, uh, the winners are the Bears there and Trubisky. Uh, not only the whole coaching in the offseason, you get Mac Nagy, who should be an innovator offensively. I've heard nothing but good things about him, but now the personnel is really adding up. The number one target now in Robinson. I think the presence of Trey Burton, no, maybe not necessarily he's the starter because you still have Adam Shaheen. But this tight end room got a lot more intriguing, I think, with a guy like, you know, how many things Burton can do. We saw a little taste of that in the in the playoffs in the Super Bowl. And then little X Factor, Taylor, Gabriel, I think that gives them a new dimension, gives them a lot of stuff that they, uh, you know, in Kansas City they were able to do with uh, Tyreek Hill. Not saying that Gabriel's that kind of speed, but he's that kind of player, not just a satellite. But after the catch, I mean, this guy is uh, – really hard to catch. So I'd say uh, a lot to like this whole Chicago offense. I mean, you know, it, with that pick, now it's looking like if, if they don't take Harry Highstand's protege, Quentin Nelson from Notre Dame, it'd be, I mean, that, that seems to be all adding up to me for the Bears. But you got to like what the, uh, where they're going. And then I think the 49ers, yeah, you got to love what they're doing. I'm just adding Richard Sherman. Uh, I, I like the running back they added, Jarek McKinnon. Uh, this this whole offense, this whole team, I mean, it's, it's like a destination now. People really, uh, I think, that want to know what's going on with the 49ers and, and all free agents there are out there. They really want to be a part of uh, what's going to happen in the Bay Area. So, yeah, 49ers are winning. And if you're, if you're Mitchell Trubisky, seeing Allen Robinson and Taylor Gabriel, uh, General Mitchell Trubisky should be smiling ear to ear right now. Yeah, you know, the way the 49ers are building that team, I, I mean, I put them up there. I mean, hey, I, I think Philadelphia and Minnesota are clearly the best two teams in the NFC at this point in time. But that second tier of contenders, I've got San Francisco in the mix. I just love what they're doing. They're not afraid to roll the dice. They're not afraid to go with their gut instinct. And they're not afraid to go with their football instincts. And, you know, meanwhile – uh, crazy money being thrown around uh, by the 49ers out of Western Richburg where you might look at the, the contract and say, man, uh, you know, that's a lot of money for a, a center. And I forget, I think it's like five years, 42 million. I could be wrong, but you know, you're talking about another quarterback on the field, a guy that, you know, really is calling out a lot of coverages, pre-snap reads, and, and really I wouldn't be surprised if he gets into coaching. So, you know, again, the, those leadership positions, the center, the quarterback, um, even on the defensive side of the ball now you have Richard Sherman, this enforcer who, you know, is just looking, licking his chops to face the Seahawks twice a year. Um, so, yeah, I definitely agree with you, Joe. San Francisco becoming a free agent destination uh, Sammy Watkins, I thought, Justin, to the Chiefs yeah. was a pretty good move. Um, Jarvis Landry now, we're going to see what happens with him. The, so the Watkins one. Yeah, take it away, my man. I mean, just can we talk about how Andy Reid now has Sammy Watkins and Tyreek Hill mm. and Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes? I mean, if anybody mm. can put Sammy Watkins' versatile skill set to use, uh, it, it's Andy Reid. And, I mean, that offense now – 
when you look at the limitations they had with Alex Smith and studying him on film <clears throat> the last few years, especially in that Pittsburgh playoff game, I mean, he was what held them back. But Mahomes might not be up to, you know, the mental – his mental aspect of his, you know, the quarterback game. It's not where Alex Smith is. He's not going to be able to do the things pre-snap and, you know, with the coverages and with the audibles and the check with me, all that stuff. He's not there yet. But just simply the arm strength and the ability to stretch the field – and keep players alive and do things that physically Smith could not do. Add in that he has Andy Reid at the helm calling plays, and he's got Watkins and Hill. I mean, that offense now is going to be pretty nasty. Um, Kareem Hunt will be, you know, is still on the team, and they still have Spencer Ware coming back. And then they got Anthony Hitchens on the defense to get that linebacking core younger and faster. Um, I don't know if the Chiefs are front runners in the AFC, but I'm pretty excited to see this offense. I know my, I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm going to be hearing it, watching them with my family against the Broncos, but uh, I'm I'm pumped either way. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't know if there is a better team in the AFC, uh, and again, a lot of that hinges on on Mahomes. But from that one game audition last year, he looked pretty good. He almost threw for like 300 yards in the only game he started. So. Uh, you know, I agree with you, Justin. I think I think the ceiling is higher with Mahomes uh, as opposed to Alex Smith, who's now over with the Washington Redskins. And I think they signed, like, Paul Richardson for big-time money over there. Uh, so did, a lot of yeah. money being tossed around. Yeah, the eight or nine, mil- eight or nine million a year for Paul Richardson. Um, so, and, of course, you know, there's going to be a lot of excitement in, in Oakland. And we'll see, I think – I think it was Joe who, who sent out the tweet maybe when when Carr was on the uh, Gruden QB show, like, I'm just never going to huddle again. And so we'll see if John Gruden <laughs> holds true to that word with David Carr. Um, but, yeah, exciting times. Times they are changing in the NFL QB world. And, you know, Drew Brees uh, re-upping with, with the New Orleans Saints, I'm not sure he'll be there much longer. Eli Manning, Ben Roethlisberger, Philip Rivers, that whole draft class, I'm not sure they'll be there much longer. Uh, New England Patriots, Tom Brady, I'm not sure how much longer he'll be there. Buffalo, they signed A.J. McCarron. I'm pretty sure they're going to trade into the top five and select the rookie QB. The Miami Dolphins, I'm pretty sure they're going to select the QB. The New York Jets, even though they signed – McCown and Bridgewater, I'm pretty sure they're going to select a new QB. The Cleveland Browns, Tyrod Taylor, I'm pretty sure they're going to select a QB. So that's just the AFC. We didn't even talk about, you know, (laughs) Trevor Simeon now. He gets traded. He's viewed as a backup. He goes and backs up Kirk Cousins. But – you know, even the Washington Redskins with Alex Smith, I mean, this guy, he's been a mentor his whole life. I wouldn't be surprised if they select <laughs> another QB. So the there's a lot of teams out there. Well, hey, am I wrong? <laughs> the Arizona Cardinals. No, you're not. That's the thing. Do the Arizona Cardinals need a QB? They got to take one somewhere. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, they may have brand. Pre- oh, God. For two games? Right, exactly. I mean, I mean yeah. I, I'd love to know how much money 
I mean, I wish we had one of those ESPN budgets where we just call out like the stat runner, like, yeah, go find, go look this up. Like how many, <laughs> how many starts per, uh, how much money per start has Sam Bradford earned? I mean, it's got to be the most of all time. <laughs> I mean, unbelievable. Oh, his, anyway, his lifetime earnings is at 134 million. Is what I just checked. <laughs> wow. Not bad. Is that is that including the twenty? Is that including the twenty million this year? Or yep, that adds in this recent contract. Wow, it's good work if you can get it. And God bless. So one hundred and thirty-four million. He has started eighty games. So there you go. There you go. I mean, wow. Uh, over over one and a half million dollars a game for his career, unbelievable. So, St. Louis, Minnesota, Philadelphia, and now Arizona for Sam Bradford, who really benefited from that final year of the CBA and and landing that jackpot deal right out the gates as a rookie. Now, shout out to Pro Football Reference for the quick look up on the stats. I did not realize. Samuel Jacob Bradford, in parentheses by his name, they have Sleeves. So I guess his nickname is Sleeves. I never knew that. Um, <laughs> we're, learning, we're learning something new every day over here sense. on the NFL Draft <laughs> Bible Radio. <laughs> hey, so let's talk about um, – boy, where do we go from here? We're going to dive into the tight end and offensive line previews. Because that's what you guys tuned in for, right? NFL Draft Bible Radio uh, with Rick, Joe, and Justin. We're going to break down the tight ends first and then the offensive line. Now, uh, last week we did wide receivers. And, you know, we have it all archived up on the website, Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, if you want to get the positional preview. So here we go with tight ends, gentlemen. Uh, You know, I find this year's tight end class very interesting I think that if you take the top five guys in this year's draft class, uh, I truly believe you could, you know, put them in any which order that you like. They're extremely close. There's a lot of different types of pros and cons to each guy. Um, I guess we'll start it off with you, Justin. Anybody going in the first round, and how do you see, you know, let's start off with your top five tight ends how does your personal big board stack up well like you said it there's so many different types it's kind of like what do you want what do you think you need you know if you're a different team because Gasicki, you know is built like a bean pole but he can run and he can catch but he's never going to block and then there's some guys that are only blockers but they do that really well um so you know for the modern day nfl it's all about that pass catching um Dallas Godert from South Dakota State, he's my top guy. And it's just because he's he's got more speed than I think people realize, and he's just such a natural pass catcher, um, natural feel for separation and where to sit down and where to keep going and how to, you know, extend away from his body and create his own windows for the, for the quarterbacks to get him the ball. I think he just does everything so naturally. And, it, I, you know, coming from a small school, people assume – you know, he'll have a tough transition with the speed of the game and how to play against better athletes. But I don't think that's going to be an issue for this guy. He just looks like he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's going to have to do. He does it so easily. 
Um, so he's my top guy. Um, Hayden Hurst from South Carolina, not the most explosive guy, not a super threat after the catch, but again, just an easy, easy pass catcher. He's thick. He's got the frame to withstand the hits. He has got gorgeous hands. I mean, can really catch anything. I think he has that one like highlight reel behind the back catch or one handed. I don't know, but he's he's a good pass catcher, and that's you know key for today's NFL. Mike Kosicki comes in at number three. Dude blew up the combine. That volleyball athleticism, you know, high point ability definitely shown through. He jumped out of the gym. He ran fast. All that. Um, he's got soft hands. He can make the highlight reel catches. He did it at Penn State, but I'm worried about his frame, and I'm worried about his ability laterally. He's just so clumsy and herky-jerky if he's ever asked to change direction or do anything but run straight. So, you know, in the red zone, he's going to be a monster. Getting down the seam, he's going to be a monster. But that thin lower body is tough to see. Um, one underrated guy that I don't think anyone really talks about is Chris Herndon from Miami. He's like 6'4", 245. This dude is an explosive stud athlete, and I think he's probably one of the more – probably the best pure – you know, receiver in the class as far as you can line him up in, in line. He can block. He's not really good at it, but he's got a thick frame. He's big enough to do things and get in the way and at least seal off some, some blocking lanes. But after the catch, before the catch, during the, at the catch point, this dude's an athlete. And I think he maybe is just a little raw and he hasn't played a ton of – he hasn't really been given the chance to show off his full skill set in a real good passing offense, but – Chris Herndon is a name to watch out for because I think he's going to, you know, be selected day two, early day three, and someone's going to be someone, some offensive coordinator is going to realize what they got and turn this dude into a star. Um, but he probably is my my fourth overall guy, and then Mark Andrews from Oklahoma. He had a good combine as well, and I think he's got another another guy with a good symmetrical frame. He's got a good filled out lower body, good filled out upper body. He can get up there. He's a tall dude. Um, nothing special with him. But I think you're getting a guy that really is just kind of going to give you what you think you get. And it's just a good pass-catching tight end. Nothing more, nothing less. Um, he can block a little bit. But overall, he's just a reliable dude that's not going to blow up anything, but he's not going to hold your team back in any way. Yeah, and, you know, you mentioned Herndon, uh, that torn MCL on his left knee, you know, prevented him from participating in the combine. So there's, you know, a guy probably – yeah, maybe day one, day two talent, but because of the medical, he'll probably be called back to Indianapolis for that medical recheck. Um, could go mid to late rounds, and you know if it pans out, I think the Eagles gambled on a corner. What was the, the kid from Washington uh, last year in the fourth or fifth Sydney round? Sidney yeah. Jones. I mean, if a guy like that pans out. Um, you know, I, I mean, you're you're getting a day one, you know, top fifty guy on a day three. And I mean, so. MCL is very recoverable from. It's not. I mean, it's not even ACL. It's the MCL, and you know, that's these days, especially with the technology, like the, the ligament injuries are pretty. They recover pretty easily from them. So I'm I'm hoping that it's nothing more serious. It's just that MCL, and he can come back healthy. Yeah. No. No doubt. And. uh you know, speaking of injuries, we should also mention Adam Brenneman. We we were all here scratching our heads why he didn't get the invite to Indianapolis. Well, I guess, you know, this retirement must have been in the works. And apparently the injuries that, you know, forced him to walk away from Penn State and 
briefly retire in the past. Uh, I guess they're just chronic long-term injuries that, you know, will prevent him from, from uh, continuing on. I had a chance to link up with his, uh, his agent, Matt Marino at the uh, Fordham pro day, I believe it was. Um, So shout out to Adam Brenneman, great collegiate career, nothing to be ashamed of. And we wish him the best as he moves on in his endeavors. Uh, Joe, anything that Justin didn't cover, you know, I think you agree with us in terms of, you know, I take a look at Dallas Goder. He's probably the guy that I, I could see coming off the board in round one. Now, Adam Shaheen, you can argue, you know, maybe he wasn't worth the first round pick, but he did go pretty high. I think 18th overall. I think there will be a team intrigued enough to take Goder number one. Any other tight ends have a shot? How does your top five shake out? That'd be my crazy draft prediction uh, if we was going to get that. I I think there could be three. Yes, three tight ends in this first round, Whoa. as silly as that sounds. Uh, not just uh, – oh, I, I think Goddard's been a first-rounder. I mean, the kid is just uh, a natural, uh, excellent ball skills, really powerful. He can block. He's got outstanding balance. Dude rides a unicycle that's six foot tall. Uh, just real chip on his shoulder that only comes from being a walk-on at a small school. So, yeah, I – Give me Goddard all day. And then I think Gesicki, not just with that combine, I mean, that's what it's about, having a receiving threat as a tight end. Any team that runs two tight end sets should be drooling all over Gesicki. And I will agree, though, his blocking is super suspect. He is not powerful uh, after the catch. So he definitely needs about eight cheeseburgers to put on him because I don't know that he needs to run a a 4-5-4. Uh, he's plenty fast. I just think what he could do in receiving game, that's going to be a value uh, to some people. And, yeah, Hayden Hurst, I think, is like he's a real combo. The only knock is he's just going to be a 25, maybe 26-year-old rookie. I mean, all that baseball he played is going to be a deterrent. But uh, he can actually block. Uh, Justin said it, natural ball skills that only come from having that super hand-eye coordination of being a baseballer, man. Uh, and I, I think just being old carries himself like a pro. I think that appeals to a number of teams. He's not going to be out of place in a professional locker room with men because uh, he's, you know, he's just been in that environment. So I think Hurst has got to be knocking on the door. Gasicki's knocking on the door, and I, maybe I'm crazy, but. Mandrews is just my kind of tight end. I think he's another guy. Mismatch, ideal height, excellent ball skills, athletic, just real smooth runner. And Mark Andrews, uh, the reason he gets open, he's just so spatially aware. And then he locates the ball so easily for a big man. I think uh, there's just a a ton to like about Andrews. And, yeah, I think it's that top four that's really – you're getting, I don't want to say plug and play, but as far as a guy that could be active in sub packages, in sets, in the receiving game, uh, Gasicki, Andrews, Hurst, neither one of them three would be out of place. So, yeah, I, I think I think there's definitely two first round tight ends in this group. I would I would say they they might be scratching at three. And if I got to throw them in my fifth, you know I'm going nine finger Fumagalli. If anyone has the question, is yeah, still plug in the Western. Western Michigan game in that bowl, man, he he destroyed the Broncos. I mean, he made some of the highlight real catches that uh, any tight end 
would be proud of. And this is another guy just – he is all a six-foot-six. Six. I mean, that is a matchup with his height. I'm not questioning his ball skills, impeccable sense of awareness when he's on the field. He finds a first-down marker. He knows where he's at on the sideline. Uh, just a real intensity about his game. And, yeah, I don't even think about that finger, man. It just, he just looks like a, a baller out there on the field. And you ask any defensive coordinator he's played against, they, they know the name Fumagalli. They know it well. He's not only a client, but he's the president <laughs> of the Nine Finger Fumagalli Fan Club. That's Joe Everett breaking it down. Tight ends here on the NFL Draft Bible Radio. Uh, I think those are all the tight ends, Joe, that, that cover the first two days. I mean, anybody else that we're leaving out, can Ian Thomas or uh, a William oh, Disley, yeah. a blocking machine, make, make the second day here, squeeze in? Uh, I mean, I've got the sleepers. I don't know. I mean, unfortunately, in Thomas, I'd have liked to have seen a uh, a little bit more of uh, a better performance at the combine, better performance at the Senior Bowl. Still, my guy. I mean, I think the world of his game. It's just, yeah. I don't know if there's a the day two guy. Uh, the day two guy. I'd like the uh, Jordan Akins, the the, the uh, Central Florida, another former baseball player. But I mean, I'll, I'll take these former MLB guys all day because, like I said, I mean. Uh, living that pro life, coming uh, to the locker room on game day, being ready, you know you're not going to have to think twice about Jordan Aikens. Uh, he, he is a gamer. So I think that's a guy just kind of curious where he fits in, what kind of role he finds at the next level because Aikens, uh, I think, very similar uh, cloth, uh, cut from the same cloth as Hurst. And then what Justin was talking about, there's a lot of guys that block really well. Checking out Dalton Schultz, man. This guy will get up in your face, stick his nose in there, and, and bloody it. Man, he just loves to block uh, and really does a great job at it. I mean, you you can't survive at Stanford without being able to block. But, yeah, that's another guy that Justin talking about the specialist. But Dalton Schultz is a blocking specialist. Yeah. And maybe uh, Durham Smythe from Notre Dame and Ryan Izzo from Florida State. They're not the best mm. pass catchers per se, but – it's nice to see dudes that still bring that old-school style. So, shout-out to you two for actually bringing it when you're blocking. Yeah, no, there's there's always going to be a need for that at the NFL level. And, you know, I guess a couple guys we haven't really spoken about. Um, you know, Marcus Ball from Ohio State was at the NFL PA Collegiate Bowl. I, I thought he had a pretty good week there. Um you know, Joe, I don't know about you. I had a chance to speak with him at the NFL PA Bowl. I know you had a chance to catch up with him at the Senior Bowl. I thought it was a crime that Dion Yelder from Western Kentucky wasn't invited to the combine. I mean, I think this is an obvious snub who's going to get drafted. And, and, you know, quite frankly, these are the kind of guys who are omitted that, that really make, you know, the, the combine selection process look, look bad, look poor. Yeah, I mean, and Yelder's the guy that's just so dedicated to his craft. Struck me as a really humble guy, but I mean, also just another gifted pass catcher. It just comes naturally to him. I'd like to see him add some bulk, but I mean, he runs so well. Uh, he just attacks that ball, my ball mentality kind of guy. And yeah, if there's another sleeper, I'd scooping up these names and running across the tight ends. There's a guy. Uh, at the Tropical Bowl, I guess, or Tropic Bowl, whatever, Pharaoh McKeever, Florida International. Uh, Got to give huh. my credit uh, to Brian Bosarge. Uh, it's kind of shined me onto this guy. 
This McKeever okay. is just a size, speed combination, grad transfer from NC State. Uh, I think he was a receiver crude or uh, maybe even a DN. He played some DN at NC State, but super raw player, matchup nightmare, tough to tackle. I like that. Looking at some of these Pharaoh McKeever highlights, there's they're they're not plentiful. I'll say that, but that's a guy. We talk about guys with untapped potential. Uh, man, w- what kind of body he's got, and just some real ridiculous upside. If uh, if I've got a sleeper outside of Yelder, this uh, McKeever, uh, yeah, I just think totally under the radar. Um, not a lot of people are talking about him, but don't be surprised if he makes some noise in a camp. Oh, man, we love that here at the NFL Draft Bible. We're going to have to check him out. And, you know, since we're digging in the crates and going deep, I mean, Matt Flanagan was a guy who started off at Rutgers. You talk about a blocking tight end, finished up his career at Pittsburgh. I think he's an under-the-radar, maybe an undrafted free agent guy. Um, you know, Matusala Unga from Hawaii, I think, you know, nobody's really given this guy any kind of publicity. I mean, he's an athletic pass catcher, probably because, you know, his games start at 1 a.m. I liked what I saw when, when I saw him. And I think, you know, he should just be in the mix as a priority free agent. As should Jake Rowe from Boise State. You know, we, we've talked about Jalen Samuels on the podcast and in previous shows. And, and Jake Rowe, kind of one of those guys that, you know, just kind of a jackknife. I mean, he might not have a specific position, uh, but, you know, some plays will line up as a fullback, other plays as a tight end, you know, could be an H-back, throw him in motion, hand him the ball off, throw him the ball, uh, you know, let him block, let him do a little bit of everything. Um, so Jake Rowe from Boise State, another guy just to throw out there. David Wells from San Diego State definitely has the size. Ben Johnson from Can- Kansas, the athleticism and pass-catching ability. So um, Tyler Conklin from Central Michigan, I don't think we even mentioned him yet. Uh, was at the Senior Bowl, I believe. So Jordan Thomas from Mississippi State. So, hey, I think, you know, pretty good, fellas, considering uh, our consensus big board and, and taking, you know, your guys' thoughts and rankings and coming up with a consensus board. I think we've done a pretty solid job here. We'll do what we can. all right well let's shift gears now we'll transition uh to the offensive line we got a half hour down half hour to go it's an hour of power commercial free here on the nfl draft bible radio rick saratella joe ever justin gamble breaking it down for the people now man we can't stop we won't stop we don't know how to stop who needs commercials? But if you want to, if you want to take out a commercial ahead, you can contact me, RIC at NFLDraftBible dot com. Hey now, all right, fellas, uh, we'll take them offensive tackle prospects first, and then we'll lump together the interior linemen. Uh, we'll get who your top guys are on the inside. Now, uh, let's start off with the tackles. I think you know we've talked about this briefly. Before we do that, I want to just let everybody know out there that. I don't know if it's been reported, but there will be a NFL regional combine, a super regional. It's an invite only. And they're also doing a pro veteran uh, free agent combine on March the 24th at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers facility. Just so, you know, any agents who are listening and might not be aware, uh, I know invitations did go out. Um, You know, one guy, 
Vincent Smith from Limestone is going to be participating, I know for a fact. And that's another guy I don't think we even gotten around to speaking to on the wide receivers podcast last week, but another guy not invited to the combine who I'm hearing a lot of buzz from NFL scouts telling me the kid's going to be drafted. Um, But just so you guys are aware, March 24th at the Tampa Bay facility, there will be a rookie free agent, well, rookie combine and then a pro veteran combine. So I know a lot of you guys, a lot of uh, agents out there struggling to find a pro day for some of their clients. I just wanted to throw that out there to you all um, because we like to share the knowledge. So um, offensive tackles, Joe. Uh, we've talked about it in the past. Orlando Brown on the combine recap show, he didn't do himself any favors. I guess the question is, you know, do you like McGlinchey or Connor Williams? And is there really anyone else in the first round consideration after that? I think it's those two and and that's it. And really the the one I feel the best about is McGlinchey because at least we've got proof that he survived at left tackle. And then we know he's really good at right tackle. So uh, there's, there's at least some solidity in what you're asking him to do there. So I think that that might actually just prop him up into the end of the first round due to scarcity of the position. Uh, and, and then Connor Williams, just the upside is what you're drafting on. You're drafting on traits because really uh, there's not a lot of great footage. I think from, from this season, you'd have to dig back a little further to 2016 to see, uh, you know, what he does in, in pass pro a little more. It's really, a, it's a tough class as far as first rounders. It's like these wide receivers, and these offensive tackles, it's well, you're really working hard to make a case for one of them in the first round. So, yeah, yeah I think Williams is flirting with it. Uh, McGlinchey finds his way in there, and I don't know what to make about the rest. Uh, like I said, you're, you're building a case for Colton Miller at UCLA. Yes, the testing numbers were, were phenomenal. Where's the career production? And then uh, my boy, uh, Chuk Sakura, for I'd, I'd love to put him in the first, but – well, there's still a lot of growth that needs to happen there. And, man, to be honest, interviewing the guy, English is not his strong suit, man. Communicating with the kid might be uh, difficult at first before you kind of learn his style, learn how he's, uh, you know, reacting and, and just how he intakes all this information. So, yeah, it's, it is tough to see any of these guys in day one. And, yeah, I think not only did Brown knock himself out of the first round, he may have knocked himself out of the first couple of days. Uh, if he goes in the, the somewhere in round four, and maybe at the very end of round three, and starts worrying, I mean, there's a reason why. It's just the the lack of movement skills. So, yeah, I think what we're seeing is, uh, and I hate to go back to the wide receiver comp, but a lot of guys they're going to be day two values. Um, yeah, I would love to have Chukes uh, day two, and really, I'd love to have a lot of these uh, teams take chances on a McGlinchey, take it on on a, a Williams. You can go ahead and draft your Brian O'Neill uh, because as good as those test results were, he, there's just a lot of footage of him getting beat by pass rushers. So, uh, I mean, you know, we can do jumping jacks out in the parking lot. That's that's about what this combine amounts to for a guy like Brian O'Neill. We we knew he could move. It's still the question is, can he play? And, and yeah, I've got my doubts. So, I think you're waiting for guys if you're smart, like uh, maybe an Alex Kappa 
round three and day two there. Maybe a Brandon Parker on day two. You don't have to spend as high. And, and really, man, you, you want your solid, your, your return on your investment and a high pick. I think you might be looking at the interior offensive lineman here, uh, see who you can manage in rounds two and three. Uh, because, yeah, if you're throwing out the top three interior, Jimmy, against the top three uh, tackles, I'm, I'm loving a list of guys that sounds like Quentin Nelson, Will Hernandez, and Isaiah Wynn as opposed to whichever three combo of these tackles you're going to give me. Yeah, it's very interesting indeed because, I mean, even a guy like Ty- Tyrell Crosby from Oregon who you want to like and then has a disappointing combine. And Justin, notice uh, Joe omitted Martinez ranking nowhere to be found in his tackle. <laughs> but I mean it sounds like it sounds like to me it's a very good year if you need a right tackle. Uh maybe not so much as you need a left tackle, but uh just rewinding real quick first off Justin, I mean Orlando Brown for you, how far I mean he he, he bounced back a little bit on his pro day posted some better numbers. How how far has he fallen to to you in your opinion? Is he round two, round three, or day three? Well you guys know he was like a fringe day two player anyways for me. I never understood where his hype was coming from other than he played you know, he protected the Heisman winner and the you know, the media goat Baker Mayfield, but I, I don't see the knee bend, I don't see the mobility, I don't see the quick feet. There were times when if Baker took a deep set, which was rare, but if you saw speed to power against Orlando Brown, the dude was getting thrown back. It was it was almost like Baker saved him so many times by either scrambling or just zooming that ball out fast. But I, I never understood his height. I think this definitely pushes him. Shoot, I, I don't think he goes day two. I think this is a round four to five guy now, and maybe teams are going to go back and really kind of dive into his tape and analyze that a little deeper and say, like, what did we miss? How does he actually have the movement skills to play tackle at all? And I'm not sure he does. I think speed to power or just speed in general, I think the, I think he's getting beat. I, I don't understand where he really succeeds. Um, it felt like he just got lucky on tape too many times. But, you know, like Joe said, Mike McGlinchey seems to be the safest pick. He's technically sound. He's consistent. I don't think he has the highest ceiling. And, I mean, we've seen a few guys get him before. You know, uh, what, what was it? The, the Michigan State kid, Malik McDowell, just ruined his life for 60 minutes. But then he goes up against Bradley Chubb and completely, you know, all works the kid for 60 minutes. So, it's he's an interesting study. I think he's just really good. I don't think there's anything special about him, but I think he's a consistent, solid dude. Um, kind of like a poor man's Joe Staley coming out where – you know, nothing extremely flashy, nothing that's going to wow you, but he's going to get the job done. Um, and I'm glad Martinez Rankin did not get mentioned because I don't see him as a tackle at all. I think he's going to move inside to guard. I think that's where he'll be best. But one tackle I, that doesn't get mentioned enough, um, and I think he's going to play tackle in the NFL. And I think he's got a he's a dark horse first-rounder. This is Jamarco Jones from Ohio State. He was their left tackle this past year, and I believe the year before. But – uh you know, athletic kid, I, I don't think he had a good combine. It was a little disappointing for what you saw on tape, but he's got quick feet. He's got the bend. Um, I think another guy, he's underdeveloped in the weight room, so speed to power will get him a lot. But you look at him athletically, and I think he's a safe pick to say he's at least going to play right tackle in the NFL. 
Um, but I think he could develop into that left. He just he just needs like what great or what uh, Garrett Bowles needed last year. He needs that NFL weight room. He needs to get kind of more of that functional athleticism to let his frame fill out and see you know what he can really do. But McGlinchey and and I know Joe was saying also that McGlinchey is a dark horse for the first round. But I think I have a I have a buddy who has a close source in the Ravens scouting department, and he was saying the Ravens absolutely love McGlinchey. So you know if that stands true and he's there for the Ravens pick, maybe that's a thing. So, you know, like, but also, like you said, the interior offensive line seems something like we would like, you know, it's a much safer group than the outside. I don't think tackles or anything that you really want to risk your team on, but if you want to take Isaiah Wynn, Quentin Nelson, some of these other, Will Hernandez in the first round, they seem like they would help your team out quicker and at a much higher rate than some of these tackles who are just going to get blown by or, you know, thrown right into that quarterback. Well, tackle is too important of a position and too many teams need them. So there, you know, somebody has to go in the first round. There will be at least, at least, at least two tackles. Um, But I definitely like that Jamarco Jones uh, first round sleeper. There you go. Um, All right. Well, I got a couple guys I'll throw out there. You know, listen, you know, I'm over here in the Northeast. So before I get there, Jahard DeBear from Arizona. You know, the coaches just gravitated towards this kid throughout the week. Jackie Slater, uh, one of the coaches for the Mike March staff at the the NFL PA Bowl, really took a liking to this kid and kind of, you know, took him under his wing for a week. And this, this guy was the most improved player of the week, in my opinion, uh, just like really raw, uh, very new to the game, learning best football ahead of him. Uh, prototypical practice squad player, let him develop for a year and see where it goes. But I think he can long-term three, four, five years down the road, be an eventual starter at the next level. Now, Timon Paris suffered an ugly injury, um, Stony Brook got the invite to the Senior Bowl and the Combine, I believe, was was not able to participate. Probably still goes in the late late rounds of the draft, as does Brett Toth from Army. Uh, I know that I know there was quite a few teams represented at that Army Pro Day. I won't give it up to you, who, but use your imagination. Uh, I think there's a chance he gets drafted. And, and the the one last guy, Jersey guy. You know, we've been on him now for a while. Uh, got the call up to the Senior Bowl. Jamil Demby from, from Maine. I mean, this guy's a player. Uh, you know, I, I just – I was watching drills, you know, completely different drill. And out of my peripheral vision, I just catch this dude just, you know, throwing guys down, one-armed, like nothing – like nothing, bro. <laughs> making <laughs> making the guys look foolish, you know. So Jamel Demby for Maine is definitely a guy uh, that I'm I'm in, I'm intrigued to see where he goes because I think he he can start at the next level. Uh, anybody else here, Joe, that we didn't discuss here at the offensive tackles? Uh, yeah, I mean Demby, wherever you want to put him, uh, I'm, maybe he's a guard, maybe he's a tackle. That dude's three thirty-five, large, and yeah. He'll start throwing dudes around. Um, uh, the tackles, uh, Stanley Jean Felix, uh, Marshall, 
really rare kind of wingspan from this guy. I, I think he's a guy that survived a tackle just because of that length, uh, surprising suddenness for a big guy. And just he doesn't – I don't know that he's, uh, his height is prototype, but I said those arms – uh, keeping tag, uh, pass rushers at bay, I think he's the guy that really you have to include him on the sleeper ranks. And then um, a fellow you know pretty well, I believe, Jamar McGloster, uh, working out over there. I mean, that that he just looks like a power forward in the NBA. So uh, it, it tackles that, that you, you stopping that pass rusher. I, I want a guy with that kind of length, that kind of range, and the the ability to get back and out, out of a set really quick. Uh, McGloster is a type that I think he's got to be on the back of NFL radars looking to fill their uh, rosters out. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if he gets drafted, but it's a guy that you'd love to have a body like that in camp because the uh, offensive line coach is probably salivating, wishing, hey, I wish I had arms like that long. So I, I think McGloster, Gene Felix, just due to body makeup, those guys are on the, on the radar. Yeah, the uh, the Marshall, I mean, the Marshall kid, I think I get reminded every day on Twitter that he has the longest arms in the draft. <laughs> I'm sorry. They, that they hurt tag us. Zone, they, man. They, yeah, they tag us on everything. Hey, longest arms <laughs> in the draft. Hey, you got you got us to talk about you on the draft Bible radio show, okay? Uh, McGloster, <laughs> if you go check out his path to the draft video on on the website, uh, interesting story. He was actually playing basketball for Bobby Hurley in Jersey City. Um, sent him to the football team to go toughen up. Wound up getting injured. Uh, like four games into his junior year, I think, and, and just really never even played football in high school. Winded up getting recruited to Syracuse based on that size, like Joe mentioned. And, you know, he, he's not from, uh, you know, Hillside, New Jersey, you know, not a great place to grow up. You know, they kind of did their background checks, was impressed. You know, this guy, like, missed three days of high school in four years and just, you know, just had a gut. And, and there you go, and, and got a scholarship offered to Syracuse, winded up playing the East-West Shrine game. Uh, shout out to Powerball performance coach Donnie Klein, working with him, and, you know, another one of uh, Klein's protégés just had a uh, workout, Justin Spencer from Youngstown State, another guy, four-year starter. Um, you know, maybe he kicks inside, but another quality player, as is, hey, that Wagner Pro Day, circle it on your calendar, fellas, Greg Sinat getting that senior bowl combine invite and now um, packed house expected at the Wagner <laughs> Wagner college facility for their pro day, March the 27th, same day as Mammoth. And, uh, you know, we will see with uh, the super producer, Sammy C being eight and a half months pregnant. We'll see if we'll, you know, the due date is March 28th. So we're, we're tentatively scheduled for that March 27th, Pro day as we are for Monday's uh, temple showing, so stay tuned for that update. Um, of course, we were on location, Rutgers Fordham in depth coverage on the website there. All right, uh, switching gears, interior offensive lineman. You're tuned into the NFL Draft Bible Radio Show special expanded edition. We're trying to move and groove our way through it and, and talk a little bit about some of our overall big board in just a second, but. Uh, we got to find out who our top interior offensive linemen are for the upcoming 2018 NFL draft. And 
you know, Billy Price, the uh, unfortunate pectoral injury on the bench press at the combine there, you know, how, how much does he slide now? Is he a, a round three or maybe a day three guy? Uh, let's turn it over to Justin Gamble to get his take top interior line prospects for you, Justin, and this includes centers and guards. Oh boy. Um, I think we got to start it off with the obvious Quentin Nelson. It's a, it's cliche. We've talked about him, you know, ad nauseum, the whole draft process, but this dude's a blue chipper. I mean, it's rare on tape that I saw him really battle and get beat. I think, let's see, RJ McIntosh from uh, Miami, the D tackle was one of the only few I saw get him with like a swim move. And occasionally some of the speed guys will give him a little trouble. But, I mean, overall, Quentin Nelson is like the cream of the crop. At any draft class period, he's going to be the top interior offensive lineman. You know, the athleticism, the quick feet, the power, the strength, the functional bend and athleticism, he's absolutely wonderful to watch. And then, um, you know, this guy played tackle and in uh, college. Isaiah Wynn from Georgia – he had to move out to left tackle because, you know, the coaches said he's just their best lineman, period, so we got to send him out there. And, I mean, if you don't project traits and length and all that other stuff to the NFL, you could look at this guy and say, hmm, he can hold up a tackle in the NFL. Granted, he's only 6'2", 300 pounds, so we know that's not going to happen. But, I mean, the way his feet and bend and the way that he understands angles and, you know, how to play in space, Isaiah Wynn looks like the you know a Pro Bowl guard, you know perennial Pro Bowl guard. This dude just is a great football player, and not only that, he backed it up with the athleticism on tape and at the combine. I mean, it's he's just an interesting study. I think because he played tackle, we're not looking at him as one of the top guards, but I don't think he's that far behind Quentin Nelson if you project him to guard. I know he doesn't have the size or the length or anything like that, but. He's a good player. And then, you know, Texas El Paso's Will Hernandez was at Senior Bowl, I believe. He was pretty dominant. Um, you know, another kind of short-armed guy, kind of stumpy build, built like a bowling ball. He's like 6'2", 348 or 350, something like that. But, I mean, just an animal in the trenches, throwing down every single snap. I don't know how he's got the energy to do this, but, you know, he's just a bulldog down there. So, those would probably be my top three. I know James Daniels, the center from Iowa, is getting a lot of love lately. Um, Billy Price, that pec tear sucks, but he's another one. I look at him, and I really compared him to uh, the – who was it coming out of Ohio State a few years ago or last year? And I think he's a li- – oh, Elfline. And I think he's a little better than Elfline. He's a little more athletic, and I think he, there's a little more um, natural functional strength from him. So, you know, wherever Elfline went, Billy Price is a little above that. I know he had the injury, but I think, you know, he, he's a borderline first-rounder. I don't think he'll go there, especially with the tear, but I think he's a day-two guy, maybe early day-two. Um, and then Martinez Rankin, I know we refuse to talk about him at tackle, but I think if you slide him into guard, he's got that brute strength and he's got that power to kind of drive guys off the ball. And I think in a phone booth, um, his abilities will show through a lot more than they did at tackle because he was just a revolving door sometimes at tackle. But – move him inside. And then my last guy I want to talk about real quick is Braden Smith from Auburn. Athletically mm-hmm. a little limited. Um, he doesn't really have the lateral movement. I think when he's forced to redirect and kind of shift his weight, that's when he struggles. But 
another guy that is, you know, in a power scheme and a phone booth, Braden Smith can move dudes off the ball. Um, he, he had some really good tape against some of the top guys in the SEC. And definitely a, uh, a loaded, a loaded interior, uh, draft class this year, you know, uh, two or three guys in the mix for first round consideration, Joe. And, uh, I think again here some value on day two and day three. I mean, a guy like Giron Christian from Louisville, Austin Corbett from Nevada, uh, Dejon Allen from Hawaii, who played tackle, I, I like as a guard prospect. I mean, these are guys that are going to be taken in the mid to late rounds, uh, who could also project as starters at the next level. I think the the guards, you know, maybe after the top tier or so. You know, some of these guys get a little bit devalued because teams say, hey, well, you know, I can get a guard later in the draft. I can take a tackle if it doesn't work out, kick him inside type of deal. Yeah, you're going to get value with these interior. And I think one of those three is going to make a team real happy in day two. And, I mean, Quentin Nelson, Hernandez, and Wynn, not all of them are going to find their way into round one. So uh, whatever team scoops them up on day two, I think is just going to get a 10-plus year starter. Uh, uh, Austin Corbett from Nevada, who you just brought up, I, I really like him. Uh, he played some tackle. I think he projects inside, but he also projects as a 10-plus year starter. I think he's real powerful, uh, solid point attack, and he can also pass pro. So, uh, yeah, this, there's a lot to like about this guard group. And then when you get to the centers, there's a lot of guys, if they don't play center, they could still uh, play some guard for you. Uh, yeah, Price is a fine player. I like Daniels just fine, but the the guy I like, uh, maybe he's day three, maybe he's day two. I don't care. I just want him on my team's Mason Cole from Michigan. Uh, I think he's up to 104 consecutive games started dating back to high school. This guy is an Iron Man. He's played left tackle. He started at left tackle as a true freshman in Ann Arbor. I don't care who you are. That's just good. Uh, you know you got a ball player. You know you a guy that goes out and just wants it. So I think he could basically – that's about the most versatile uh, offensive lineman in this whole draft because you know he could play some tackle, a swing tackle at least. Uh, I think he'd be a fine guard, and he totally has all the center experience you could want. So, uh, yeah, Mason Cole, uh, of all these interiors, uh, he's probably one of my favorites, just like personal fave, been evaluating him since, like I said, since the freshman season. So – uh, just a lot he brings to the table. And then what about Frank Ragnow? I tell you, if you want some Twitter followers and you want some Twitter support, just type Frank Ragnow into your tweet box right now. It will be retweeted. I guarantee it. Uh, I, I, this, this dude has just a force of fans at his ready, and it must be because he's some kind of player. Uh, he's very confident in his abilities, and that's, a, I think, another player. It doesn't matter if he plays center. He could probably play some guard. Uh, I just think he could fit into that starting five. So, yeah, the uh, interior OL of this whole group, I mean, even at the top, in the middle, late, it's, it's a lot of value uh, with these guys in, in this part of the draft class. Yeah, and, you know, Ragnow, I think, had a couple of concussions there. If not for that, uh, I think would be valued a little bit higher. Uh, somebody mentioned uh, Sean Welsh before from Iowa. He's actually been pretty public about his battle with uh, depression. So, you know, whether or not that was a smart move to come out with that before the draft, I guess, you know, he, he feels like he has that under control uh, enough to, to speak publicly about that. Um some small school guys here, Skylar Phillips from Idaho State. Uh, you know, we're looking at you. Uh, and also Aaron Stinney, son of Phil Stinney, the former New York Knicks. 
Knickerbocker uh, from James Madison. So um, I think we've covered the interior lineman, Taylor Hearn from Clemson, the underclassman who declared early. Uh, you know, we haven't talked about um, McKenzie, you know, Reggie McKenzie's son, I think it is, uh, from Tennessee, is it? Oh, is he an Khalil offensive? McKenzie. He's yeah, a defensive Yeah, tag. yeah. Defensive tag. Okay, so we'll get there. so we'll get to him next week <laughs> here on the NFL Draft Bible Radio Show, and uh, I think that covers the offensive linemen. Uh, Cody O'Connell is staring me in the face here, a combine snub who who potentially could get drafted. Uh, any other guys that you wish to throw out there, fellas, or should we move on? Yeah, I got a couple sleepers. Uh, just one real quick. Baby. Tijon Karoma, BYU, the center, uh, was not in an all-star game, a very undersized but a nasty disposition. Well after the whistles played, he's still punching somebody, throwing blows. Uh, you want to come test and feel these hands, come see me, Tijon Karoma. Uh, from his roommate, uh, Jamal Williams, That he, he, he verifies this is the toughest guy on the team. It uh, doesn't matter if it's uh, game time, 2 a.m., uh, crack of dawn, he's ready to go to war. So I, I'd love to see where Karoma ends up. And then uh, the the wonderful – program in North Dakota State. Well, Austin Cooner uh, played some guard for him, played center. He's done a lot for him. I think he started since his freshman season, so uh, that's another pivot. I, I think he, he works out at center at the next level. If he doesn't, he could play some guard. Austin Cooner, it's a guy I just uh, I'm just once again, where does he end up at camp? Because I think he's going to just uh, really uh, get a coaching staff on his side and quick with the way he plays and the effort he brings. Uh, you know those buys, and they, they they just keep producing all the talent, and I think Kuhner's the next one. Love it. Justin, who do you got? Tony Adams from NC State. Uh, he, I know he threw down at the Shrine game. I had a buddy down there covering that, and he said that, I mean, was consistently being told by the coaches, hey, calm down, but refused. I mean, he was finishing dudes after the whistle, through the whistle. Um, my buddy even threw a tweet out there saying it, and Tony Adams, like, quote tweeted it. And I don't remember what he said exactly, but he in no way denied it. Um, he was like, yep, that's what I'm here to do. I, You know, I play every single snap. I mean, I guess just has the nastiest demeanor, wants to finish everybody. And you know those psychopath offensive line coaches are going to love this kid, so – um, he's got the, you know, he's got the measurables to play guard. I think he's going to play guard in the NFL and just a mean, angry dude. And that's what you look for. So, um, I've seen a few interviews with him too. And I, I hope he makes it cause he's a fun kid to watch. Sounds like the kind of player I'll take on uh, my team any day of the week. And we're expanding oh, yeah. our vocabulary here on the NFL draft Bible radio quote tweeted. He quote tweeted that. that. Called? I'm so. too old. To do that. <laughs> I don't know, man. You're, you're enlightening me to the new <laughs> to the new world. So I'm just talking proper, that. man. Not, not a proper. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a uh, an hour of power already, but we're gonna go bonus OT. How appropriate uh, with March Madness kicking off. We're going to go overtime, and I thought it would be a little bit of fun just because we had the combine now. The uh, bowl game season has come and gone. The all-star circuit has come and gone. 
the dust has settled from the NFL Combine. I mean, this is it, fellas. This, the next 40 days or so, I mean, teams are are finalizing their big board, and here at the NFL Draft Bible, we're going to get ready to unleash that on you on the website soon as well. Our big board, too, is shaping up, and I think, you know, we're pretty solid through the first four or five rounds of projections, and I think, you know, I'm not sure you'll ever get any clarity in terms of rounds, you know, those, those last two rounds of the draft, it's anybody's, you know, depending on what you need, the scheme you play, who you like. I mean, those are usually the two hardest rounds to project round six and seven. But like I said, we do have a solid, you know, for this conversation, gentlemen, we'll, we'll, we'll keep it, really to the top 100 i think we've got a solid top 150 but we'll, we'll keep it to the top 100 so basically day one and day two guys we'll take a look at the big board i thought it would be a fun exercise just to get joe and justin's thoughts on who are we valuing too high who are we too low on who's a guy that we're not thinking clearly about and jimmy cliff <laughs> it's going to help us see clearly now. Uh, <laughs> boy, you crack me up sometimes, Rick. Uh, so, guys, <laughs> let's talk about this NFL Draft Bible big board that we'll put up on the NFLDraftBible.com. And if you're just tuning in, we broke down the NFL free agent frenzy, all the impact analysis, the cause and effect. Uh, we just ran through tight ends, offensive line, draft prospects for the upcoming 2018 draft. Now it's time to take a look at the overall big board. Um, I think, you know, the top guys we've kind of beaten to death uh, like a dead horse. So with that being said, let's start off with you, Justin, in terms of this big board right here, right now. Give me, give me one guy that, you know, is just way too high for your liking. And then one guy that's just way too low. Like, what are you thinking? I think doing a lot of recent film study on Derwin James. Um, I'm, I know, you know, he's been this like God of amongst men since he came to Florida state. And, you know, it's like blasphemy to say anything other than, you know, he's the elite of the elite, but, I don't see it on film. I see a super athlete, but I also see a guy that struggles in transition. And I see a guy that really doesn't live to hit people or live to make the tackle. And comparing him to the, some of the you know, first-round safeties from the past few years and even you know, Malik Hooker, but more on his mold of player, uh, Keanu Neal and, and uh, Jamal Adams. And these guys were the tone setters and the leaders and – just the field generals of that defense. And it was like, even if the play was all the way across the field, they would run over there just in hopes that they'd get to smash somebody. And consistently on film, you see Derwin just kind of jogging around. And even when the tackle is coming his way, it's like, do I got to go do this? Yeah, I got to go do this. And uh, I was watching film from his freshman year too. And this was when he was fully healthy and, you know, against Clemson, uh, Wayne Gallman comes his way and he has an easy kill shot because Wayne Gallman's about to get tackled by somebody else 
and he has an easy kill shot. Kind of just brushes him off. Gallman breaks the tackle and gets into the end zone. And it was like, you know, Jamal Adams beheads this guy. Keanu Neal absolutely upends this dude and, and destroys him. And it felt like Derwin just kind of had so many plays like that where I didn't feel like his athleticism was something that he wanted to use. And, you know, there's a few plays in coverage as well where he's just kind of late to key and react, late to run with, uh, you know, guys entering his zone. And uh, he's just tough for me to watch sometimes because I know the ability is there, but I think we have him in the top ten. And it's it's I just I'm not sure I see that with him yet. Um, I want to. I just don't know if I do. Um, and then a the guy I think we have a little low maybe is Vita Vea from Washington. Uh, I think we have him at 36. I hope I'm looking at the most recent big board. I download, yeah. 11. But, 11. Ele- oh, 11? What, what am I looking at here? I don't know what I'm looking at, man. Oh, I'm sorry. Check to... your emails from this morning, fellas. I forgot to tell you that. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got Vita Bay top 10. Top 10. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Forgot to tell us. Well, but no, okay. you were you were you were you were you were right on on Derwin. We have right now, I think number eight. So Justin, I'll let you pull up that email, and I'll get Joe's thoughts on on Derwin James, and and then yeah, Joe, yeah. who do we have overrated? Go ahead, Joe. Well, I, I think with Derwin James, you, you you're just taking the chance that he is that generational Cam Chancellor type. I, I would have to agree. On, I, I'm, you're basically once again taking the athlete. It's it, it's a roll of the dice, taking him too high because he he been out of football for a minute. So yeah, if a team takes him in the top ten, I would have to look at it as boy that they, they are risking it, but. Man, the upside, what he could be, the the different things he brings to the table. I don't, I don't have too much of a problem with it. But uh, as far as guys, I would uh, want to see move down, or I just don't. I don't know why we're so high, and I just don't know why the whole draft world. I mean, yes, Tremaine Edmonds is a freak physically. He's gifted. He's a super athlete. But are we sure about his instincts, his diagnoses, uh, recognizing coverage? Uh, I'm just sometimes I think he's getting away with, uh, you know, what he's been blessed with in this speed and this strength, whereas I don't know about uh, clearance, uh, getting off blocks, mental mentality and coverage. I mean, just are we sure he's a better player uh, than Evans from Alabama? Are we sure that he's a better player than Roquan Smith from Georgia? So uh, that's a guy I, I see so many places just like, man, Edmonds, he's t- top 10. I mean, what an athlete. Yeah, that's true. But uh, is he a football player? Is he that good a football player compared to the other people at his position is my biggest question him. And then if I'm throwing out some shade, it's my, my Alabama guys. I don't like Ridley. I, I still don't see him being that highly ranked. So I, I think, yeah, Calvin's a guy. Yeah, I guess he finds his way into the first round. He does some things really well, but there's there's a few things he's missing to his game to where I'm just like, man, uh, I'm not seeing some you know clear cut lock on the first round there from Ridley. But yeah, Edmonds is definitely a guy. I'm, I think people should be asking some more questions about. And then people, uh, one guy I'd want to see higher up, I, I'd say right off the bat is uh, Hubbard, uh, the Ohio State pass rusher. I think in a draft class where we're searching for answers and searching for guys that could do a job and that's rush the passer, 
Uh, we're pretty sure on Chubb, man, we, everybody loves Davenport, but we don't have a lot of proof. Uh, at least with Hubbard, there's some proof. There's some, uh, you know, film that shows him beating tackles, and I, I think there's potential of him doing it at the next level, and that's a guy I think has first-round flavor. It's just – and I'm nitpicking because we still have him very high in the second round, I believe. Uh, but th- that's a name that just kind of sticks out. Like, man, it nothing wrong with uh, uh, Sam Hubbard. I wouldn't mind having him on any roster. I almost don't care what system you run. I, I know Sammy can go find the, the the quarterback. So I think that's a guy he- – he- he's got a lot of uh, value to a number of teams. Yeah, Hubbard is uh, right there. In fact, just missing the first-round cut, so 33 overall would be uh, Christian Kirk, wide receiver from Texas A&M. Arden Key, LSU, comes in at 34. Will Hernandez, 35. Isaiah Oliver, 36. Sam Hubbard, 37. Uh, Followed by our guy, Sonny Michelle, 38. Justin, any guys I just mentioned there, with a second round grade that you believe should have a first round grade. And I know Carlton Davis from Auburn is, I think our 40th ranked guy. I know he's someone you've had in your first round. Yeah. I think when we did the on-air mock, he was in your first round mock. Who, any other guys here in the second round that should be in the first round, any other thoughts on first round guys or, or any thoughts on what Joe had to say about Tremaine uh, Edmonds or, or any other the guys? Yeah, you give me a lot to process, but I agree with Joe on Tremaine Edmonds. I don't see how he can be above Roquan or Rashawn Evans because Rashawn Evans is just a freak athlete. He's versatile. He's been hurt this past year with that groin injury. He wasn't able to run at the Combine or the first Alabama Pro Day, but I think he's just an outstanding player and, you know, an absolute freak on the inside of of that Bama defense. Um, The way that he's can be physical, but he can be fast, but he can be, you know, he can play cover. There's nothing he can't do. And I think no matter how you look at it, he's better than Tremaine Edmonds. Um, Edmonds is just a big projection right now. He's, there's not a lot of film of him really dominating in a linebacker sense. It's more just he's a big, long, freak athlete, but what is he going to do? What is he going to do for my NFL defense? Is he going to get in there and become the play caller and become – that field general like I need? Is he going to be the leader? I, I don't know. I, I haven't seen it yet. So I think he's a few, he's a year or two away from us really determining if he's going to be that good, but too bad. He declared he's going to the NFL. So I guess we're, we're about to see. I just, I wouldn't risk it on my team. Um, second round guys, I believe Lorenzo Carter, we have a second round grade on. And after the way that he blew up that combine, um, I don't, I I struggle with him because I want, I want to know if he's going to play edge in the NFL. I want to know if he's going to go be the next Leonard Floyd and get put at that three, four outside linebacker spot. But I think if he does, I mean, he could be somebody that becomes an absolute sack master becomes an absolute covers. Like there's nothing he can't do. And I think maybe because he wasn't used super well at Georgia, they asked him to do so many things. They almost, Sometimes he was off the ball. Sometimes he's on. He dropped into coverage often. But if you look at the way he transformed from, you know, playing without Kirby Smart to playing with Kirby Smart, that was a huge jump. And I think if you ask him to be a pass rusher and play that edge spot, we could see him blow up. And that athleticism could come through because he's got 
natural strength. He's got natural bend. He's got obviously he's got the speed. Um, I think we might be a little too low on him. I think projecting those traits to the NFL. That's a that's. I mean, I know Tony Pauline from a draft analyst has said this guy's a first rounder. He's going to go in the first round. I tend to agree. I don't see how teams can look at his traits and his measurables, and you know, and even the tape as well, and say, "Eh, we're going to let him get past us." I think this is a dude that those thirty-four teams are going to you're going to snag up quick. Okay, very interesting, Lorenzo Carter, uh, getting some first-round love. Justin, let me keep it with you and ask you this then. Where does a guy like Vander Esch from Boise State fit in? Because here's a guy you hear first round, you hear day two. Where do you see him fitting into the equation since we're talking linebackers? I feel like he's going to go in the first round. You know, that size, what is he, 6'4", 256, he ran pretty well. And on on tape, he's not a bad player in coverage. I think when it's a simple, when it, you know, when it's simple route concepts, and he doesn't really have to diagnose and pattern match, he's pretty, he's athletic enough and he's instinctive enough to kind of move with one dude. But it was when I saw him having to kind of break down and you know, pass one route into another zone and, and stay with one. When he when he really had to digest and diagnose, that was when he got into trouble. But the athleticism is there. Um, I I know he had a lot of tackles, but I didn't see an aggressive guy or a real instinctive guy against the run. It was like he was in the right place at the right time or it was almost like the ball carrier made his way to him often, but he's not a guy who blows up blocks. He's not a guy who will stack and shed. He's not a guy who's, he's not a gap shooter either. He's kind of just a wait and let the play develop into him. I don't see an angry, you know, tone setter, physical type of guy in the middle of the defense. I know his size, you know, would lead people to believe that, but he's not that guy. He's a really underdeveloped linebacker right now. He's raw. He's a little slow to diagnose. I think that if you take him round one, you're going to be disappointed, at least for, you know, the first year or two, because unlike Rashawn Evans, who lives to hit people, he lives to take on those pulling guards, and he lives to get the tackles. Um, that's not Vander Esch. That's, you know, his athleticism's cool, but is he a good football player? And instincts and – that that mentality are key to playing linebacker, and I don't see it with him. I think he's going to go in the first round, like I said, but I I, I wish he wouldn't. All right, very interesting stuff there from Justin. Uh, Joe, who would you rather draft if you need a pass rusher, Marcus Davenport or Harold Landry? Hmm. I'd go with the upside on Davenport. I mean, I'd roll the dice with that great length, uh, the basketball body and background. Uh, I just think some of the things he even did at the Senior Bowl where some people said, yeah, the week was inconsistent. It was just flashes. Well, those flashes could be the difference in that game, Uh, just just stripping the ball at the edge and affecting the pass. Maybe it doesn't count as a sack. It counts as a good rep, and it it gets you off on that down. So, uh, yeah, I think I'd go with Davenport. It's nothing wrong with Landry, though. I I see him definitely as more of a a kind of stand-up pass rusher, and you love the defense he comes from. I mean, he's worked with Don Brown, Adazio. Boston College is just doing nothing but putting out quality defenders in the league. Uh, I liked Milano last year, and then the uh, John Johnson, safety the Rams got. So you, you're really solid with the program, great player, track, career record. It's just I, I guess I'd go with the splash with Davenport and uh, take uh, 
the forbidden fruit, so to speak. Um, I just think, uh, like we always say, uh, it, it's, I, I guess Landry probably has that high floor. But I'm 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 seeking that higher ceiling and probably a much lower floor with Davenport. I mean, if he doesn't hit, it could be pretty bad. Whereas if Landry, you know, you're getting at least a role player there. But yeah, I guess what I'm long story longer, I'm getting those uh, dice out, hoping to hit a seven with Davenport. Justin, agree or disagree? Because this disappearing act does show up on film at times where Davenport is you know, kind of out there just looking like a guy and then other plays, you know, showing his dominance. No, you're right. And I think with with this question, you got to ask yourself, do you think Harold Landry can go back to 2016 form, you know, before he had that shoulder injury? Because in 2016, he was explosive. Um, maybe not, he wasn't, you know, elite explosive, but he had a lot more burst than he did in 2017. And I think it was because he wasn't worried about his shoulder. He was playing without pain. He knew he had a full arsenal of moves that he could, you know, throw on guys, and he wasn't going to tweak his shoulder or dislocate it or whatever. So, you know, 2016 Landry, I think that I'm taking that high floor. I know what he can do. I know his bread and butter, and I know what I'm going to get. But with Davenport on tape, it, it was inconsistent. He's a little bit segmented. His hips are a little stiff. He plays high a lot. Um, it just didn't look – that natural for him all the time. And I think that's where the disappearing acts came from. So, I mean, I, I guess I don't see his ceiling as high as some others do. I think some of those, that stiffness, some of those, you know, fluidity limitations are going to really hinder him at the next level. Um, for me, I'm taking Landry, just like, like Joe said, he's a role player, but at least I know his role. I know what I'm getting from him each and every snap where Davenport, I feel like I got to coach him up a lot. And I feel like there's a lot of unknowns, and I'm going to send him out there, and there's going to be a lot of snaps where I'm like, what was that? And, uh, you know, as a coach, if I if I was the coach, I don't think I want to live with those growing pains when, you know, there's a guy like, like you said, that Landry, that we, we know what we're getting with him. Yeah, there's going to be interesting and healthy debate in, in war rooms all over the league. I can guarantee you that. And, you know, Davenport, just with the frame and the athleticism, I mean, you, you get remnants, uh, a little reminisce of uh, Jason Taylor, just the size and athleticism uh, that he presents. So, all right, uh, how about Justin, first-round quarterback most likely to bust? Most likely to bust. This is, a, this is tough because it's between Josh Allen and Baker Mayfield. Um, I got to go with Baker Mayfield on this one. I know that's Joe's boy, but Josh Allen has the athleticism, the height, the arm talent, where it's almost like if he gets into trouble, just his physical ability alone can get him out. And, you know, he can just bail himself out kind of like Cam Newton did his rookie year where he was a little lost mentally, but it doesn't really matter. He's athletic and he's big and he can run and he can break tackles where Baker Mayfield, I think we saw, I mean, we've seen now, you know, with the with the testing and even the tape a few times, especially that Georgia game where, you know, he's only six feet tall. He's not a super athlete. He's elusive, but he's not very fast. He's not a great athlete or anything like that. And coming from that Oklahoma system, he's throwing to a lot of open guys. I mean, he, he wasn't really the kind that would test the tight windows and throw to people that were covered. He really, you know, consistently pulled that ball down unless his guys were super open. Um, and he struggled to anticipate. 
struggled to throw guys open into windows in the middle of the field. I think mixing that system from Oklahoma, kind of, you know, ingraining some of those habits in him to hold the ball longer, wait for the play to develop even more, even more, even more. You're not going to have time. You're not going to have a pocket like that in the NFL, Baker. You're going to have to get rid of the ball. You're going to have to throw to covered guys. You're going to have to anticipate those throwing windows. And your athleticism that used to work against those Big 12 defenses is non-existent in the NFL. Um, I think unless he goes to someone that's creative with his skill set and understands what they're getting with him, he's a guy that could go to a lot of different teams and bust out just because he's not ready and he's not being given the proper system and scheme around him to kind of transition him slowly, which I think he needs. So if I had to put my money on it, it's Baker Mayfield. He could also be a good quarterback, but I think there's so many more teams that he could go to than Josh Allen where you're like, you know, this ain't going to work. Joe, uh, it sounds like Justin, not only does he have Baker Mayfield lowered lowered into the grave, but he's ready to throw dirt onto his casket. <laughs> well, I hate to even say any of these guys are most likely to be a bust, but, hey, stats, the numbers, uh, eventually, you know, one of them is not going to pan out. I mean, that's what we could almost uh, go to the bank with and, I hate to say it, man. Uh, I'll have to side with Justin. Uh, the odds are against Baker, not only the height. Uh, just just being closer to six foot, uh, that that doesn't weigh in. And then also just off the field, uh, uh, Josh Allen put together pretty well. Josh Rosen, smart. Sam Darnold, just a good kid. Baker, what? Uh, he's a wild child. We, we saw everyone knows his love for food trucks and whatnot, but... I, I agree, too, with uh, some of the athleticism that, you know, things that he was able to get away with with college. I'm also agreeing with that, that it's going to be a whole lot different, uh, you know, escaping pocket, breaking structure with those NFL DBs that are already glued to you. It's, um, yeah, it's going to be a little bit different to, to where Josh Allen, I'll just be honest, what he did put out there at the combine, I know there's questions of accuracy and whatnot, but, Man, that is some kind of arm. Uh, that, I don't know what it was. Uh, the 80 yards, just standing. That was uh, that was a great display. Uh, I still have worries about him and accuracy, but uh, I like the athleticism, the whole package. He, he strikes me as a guy who could freelance. And yeah, if I, I guess if there's just like I said, the most likelihood of a guy to have struggles to to just kind of trip out of the gate it would be Mayfield of any of these four but I only say that because this is just I still believe it this is just a great quarterback class at this position I mean uh, you'd have to go back a ways just to find this many quality uh, passers that could develop into great pros I, I really don't I, I hate to say any one of these four is going to fail, but yeah, of all the, the odds are definitely against Mayfield. I'll say that I'm still in his corner firmly, but uh, yeah, I think uh, Justin brought up some good points about just basically what's against him and some of the uh, challenges he's just going to have to overcome uh, when he gets to the league. Some interesting takes, some hot takes, and if you want some more of that good stuff, um, happy to announce next week we'll be unveiling a uh, a QB. You know, John Gruden has gone off to the Oakland Raiders. Who's going to fill the void? Well, we have Steve Fairchild, folks, uh, the former Colorado State head coach, the uh, former offensive coordinator for the St. Louis Rams, Buffalo Bills. 
he'll be coaching down in the spring league with Johnny Manziel. And um, he actually is doing a five-part series on, on the top quarterbacks, his top QBs in this year's uh, draft class. And I will tell you that he did say – I don't want to give too much away. He did say he would not invest a first-round pick on Baker Mayfield. So I will just leave it at that. But um, he's been coaching football now for uh, as long as I've been alive. Uh, most recently he was you know, offensive coordinator uh, for Virginia Cavaliers. Before that he was with the Chargers. But, um, you know, we're happy to have him contributing to the website and looking forward, you know, since he's been either an OC or a QB coach for the majority of his uh, coaching career, we're excited to have his QB analysis. And he'll take you through each prospect, 14 different categories. He's got 14 points that he looks for when evaluating a quarterback. So, um, you know, Josh Rosen, Sam Darnold, uh, Mayfield is a guy. Um, Josh Allen is going to be a guy he, he evaluates. And for him, uh, Justin's favorite, Mason Rudolph, is his fifth quarterback. So we'll have those five Ooh. quarterbacks <laughs> on the website next week. And um, how about that? Last, last um, do-or-die question, Joe, would you rather – Take Lamar Jackson or Mason Rudolph as your developmental quarterback. I'm going Mason Rudolph. Uh, that kid throws a pretty deep ball. Uh, I think he can weave it through tight windows. I think he's just such an accomplished passer at this point. Uh, there's a lot more to work with there. I, I hate to be done on Lamar Jackson. I mean, that's a freak athlete. Crazy things he can do, and there's nothing against his arm. It's just placing that ball, uh, someone that could throw receivers open. That's what Rudolph does. Uh, I, I think it's just, once again, I know I'm a broken record, guys, but that's how good this quarterback class is when a guy like Mason Rudolph is like a, a you know, a consensus number five or number six. You know, you've got a doggone good quarterback class. All right, interesting to get your thoughts, Justin. <laughs> uh, I I don't want to be that guy that just blatantly disagrees with anybody. So I'm just going to say I would take Why not? It makes for good radio. <laughs> it well, makes for good radio. Why not? Well, I, I don't see this Mason Rudolph deep ball. It's, he throws up like these wounded, horrible ducks that come out of the spiral, <laughs> and he pushes the ball. I mean, James Washington bailed him out on, like, 20-yard underthrown balls, like, 18 times a game. I mean, I, I just don't see any of the other things people are seeing with Mason Rudolph. I don't see him throwing people open. I think he needs a runway to really get the completion out. Um, he really doesn't throw into levels very well. His accuracy to the outside is horrible. His balls flood. I'm not seeing anything with Mason Rudolph. For my money, give me Mike White from Western Kentucky. That dude's got to – got, he throws a rope – uh, he's he anticipates. I mean, he's accurate. He's a little he gets little heavy, muddy feet in the pocket. Um, he doesn't handle pressure the best sometimes. But I don't get this Mason Rudolph thing when there's guys like you know Jackson and Mike White out there that can do everything he does and much much more. So I mean, Mason Rudolph, he's borderline draftable for me. When I see guys push the ball and constantly are 
fluttering these things deep. I just I can't do it. I cannot do it. All right, so uh, that'll be an interesting <laughs> evaluation that comes out next week on the Draft Bible. Make sure you keep it locked for that. And, uh, boy, we went 90 hours today, or 90 hours. That feels like we went 90 hours. We went 90 minutes. <laughs> Sometimes we do pull a 90-hour <laughs> scouting session. But, um, you know, I got I got caught up here. I'm watching Arden Key just posted out some videos of him working uh, with Chuck Smith. So I'm um, trying to balance the best of all the worlds here. So uh, with that being said, guys, 90, 90 minutes up, 90 minutes down. Any parting shots for the people uh, before we wrap things up, Joe? Uh, I'll just keep it locked. Uh, looking forward to breaking down DLs and linebackers. Yeah, D-line and linebackers. Uh, let's see. We'll do how many weeks? We've got a month before the draft. We'll probably get at least three more shows in. So, yeah, we'll probably do D-line next episode. Then we'll do a linebacker show and then a DB show. So we'll count you down with the positional preview that way. Justin, uh, any thoughts as we get ready for the defensive lineman next week? You're going to hear me talk about my boy, Taven Bryan. So <laughs> get ready to hear. Just get ready to hear me be talk in such my sexual voice next week because Taven Bryan, man, is amazing. And also, still love you, Joe. Sorry we don't agree on the Mason Rudolph, but I know we still love each other. <laughs> Whew, Justin's getting his Barry White voice ready for us next week. I can't wait. Lots of good defensive linemen to uh, debate and discuss. And, uh, you know, if you wanted to catch any part of this show or you listen to it in its entirety, of course, we're on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, NFLDraftBible.com. Follow us on the Twitterverse at NFLDraftBible. Of course, uh, you can catch our co-director of college football scouting, Justin Gamble. Always dropping a hammer on him at Gam Scout. Of course, Joe Everett. Never leaving a stone unturned at Joe W. Everett. Uh, y'all know me. All right, seeing the place to be. Kind of like it is when it comes to the NFL draft at Rick Saratella, at NFL Draft Bible. We can't stop. We won't stop. We'll be back next week with another episode. We appreciate all the love and all the listeners out there. Catch you next time.